December 3rd, 2017. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I've got Matt Norlander here with me, and this is the first of three podcasts we're going to do this week. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please go do that via iTunes. Rate it favorably and continue to write great things about me in the comments. I always appreciate that. It makes me smile every time, as does altercations in basketball games, which I guess brings me to Xavier Cincinnati. Musketeers beat Cincinnati 89-76 on Saturday afternoon, but the story was a post-game kerfuffle. Norlander, you wrote about it. I'll let you tell the listeners about it. What happened with Xavier Cincinnati? First of all, we're wasting no time. I think that's a record, GP, from the intro to the topic. I'm not here I'm Not here to mess around, Norlander. It's Sunday night. We got Sunday night football going on. Mississippi State's in a battle with Dayton. Maryland is playing uh, wherever Maryland's playing, at Illinois. We got other things to do. Let's get this thing knocked out. Talk about this kerfuffle, do you? Yeah, let's talk about the near, kerfuffle. Near brawl, a struggle, perhaps. Was it a near it's, brawl, or I think it was just a kerfuffle? I think it. Well, yeah, it was. It was some uh, some verbal tongue lashing that led to a, a that led to a kerfuffle. An altercation, I think, is fair. A clash, if you will. Perhaps uh, a clash. But uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, most people listening to this podcast are aware of this, even though it was a, a very football-heavy weekend. Now we've got the college football playoff set as we record this podcast. Tennessee still does not have a head coach for its football program, yeah, though. Those poor guys. Seems to be becoming a uh, running theme with this podcast. We'll update you as soon as that's uh... <laughs> Let's try to figure out how many podcasts we can do before Tennessee actually has a football coach. I know. Uh, real quick, over, under, that they have one before we do our next one. I'm going to say they do. I'll take the under. Are you going to take the over? The over, under is what? You said it again where? Uh, we're going to either podcast late Tuesday or Wednesday by like 11 a.m. So basically, do you think Tennessee will have its coach by 8 p.m. on Tuesday? No. Okay. All right. We're split. <laughs> um, so, uh, Cincinnati has a coach and so does Xavier and, uh, they offered up some, some pretty harsh words for each other. And as far as I know, um, Chris Mack and Mick Cronin are fairly amicable, uh, especially given the uh, the proximity they have, the recruiting trail battles that they have, and that rivalry, which is um, obviously very fierce. And as I wrote on Saturday, you know, I was going <laughs> to real quick peek behind the curtain here. I was going to write on the game no matter what because it was a top 25 matchup. Xavier looked really good. I was going to write a basic column. And then all of a sudden, uh, Cronin goes after J.P. Mikura, and this elevates the rivalry to the most hostile one. Like, I get Kentucky and Louisville fans hate each other, but that's a lot of inferiority with Louisville looking up to Kentucky. With Xavier and Cincinnati, those two fan bases, in my opinion, historically are on fairly even ground, although from a head-to-head standpoint, Xavier's got the edge, especially recently. I think they've won eight of the past 11 between these two. And listen, it's an awful look for Mick Cronin. They, he opts, here's what I'm told. I'm told that Mick Cronin opts not to interact with J.P. Mercura in the handshake line, and he may not have been the only Xavier player that uh, Cronin uh, didn't interact with. I was told he kind of walked through it as quickly as possible. Then Mercura can't shut his mouth, says something to Cronin, and Cronin, like an idiot, instead of <laughs> being the mature adult, although, to be fair, Mercura is like 21, 22. He is also an adult. Right. He doesn't get off the hook for this. But Cronin doubles back, makes his way toward Mercura, shouts, who knows what. There's been some stuff reported out there. Honestly, I'm not going to run with that because who's to say if what Cronin was reportedly or allegedly said was actually true. Uh, what Cronin did say on the record in the postgame press conference 
was that Makura told him to F off, those are Cronin's words, three times in the game. I'm also told that Cronin went after Makura during the game to the point where, although Chris Mack did not say this out and out in his press conference, he alluded to it. Uh, Cronin got that technical foul in the game because he was going after Makura. So a really bizarre um, thing because you don't see coaches going after opposing players. It's it's very much a taboo at every level of sports. You worry about your own guys is kind of the, uh, the rightful creed motto. I'll close with this before I send it back to you because I know we're going to spend a few minutes on this whole thing. Um, because it didn't get physical, Parrish, and even though it's inappropriate for Cronin to have done what he did and Makura, who has turned into a huge heel, and if he played at a bigger program, I think he'd be much more hated. He's sort of like a regionalized, like, diehard fan, like, hates J.P. Makura at this point, and he seems to embrace that. Um, this isn't like the brawl from six years ago, which was truly, like, a, a, a brutal, awful, terrible thing and an awful look for college basketball. Eight guys got ejected at the end of the game early and all that stuff. Zip them up. Uh, this isn't a good look for Cronin, but it does elevate. Did you just say zip him up? Love zip him up. Dude, dude, that is my favorite quote maybe in the history of post-game college basketball press conferences. Mark Lyons, right? I thought it was. Was it Mark Lyons or was it two Holloway? You might be right. You know what? I think you're right. I think it was two. I think you are right about that. But that is a classic moment. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but here in this case um, – I understand why there's a little bit of embarrassment or maybe even more than that if you're directly affiliated as in like on those staffs, those players employed by those schools. This is good for college basketball. I love the fact that this rivalry is at this kind of a boiling level, even if it's inappropriate for McCure and Cronin to be doing what they did. I'll take this over Kansas and Missouri not playing, over Georgetown backing out of its rivalry with Maryland. I want more of this kind of stuff. It's okay to have these doses of animosity because as it stands, sports now compared to what they used to be, they do just feel a little more homogenized, a little more corporate. So when you can get some actual hate on the sleeve emotion from participants on these actual teams, players and coaches, I think it makes it that much more interesting. What are your thoughts? Uh, a few things. One, I think you make a good point uh, about the rivalry. Um, you know, like Duke Carolina is a bigger rival where Louisville, Kentucky is probably more heated, or at least it was between Patino and Calipari, and certainly between the fan bases. Like they lived that 12 months a year. Um, but one of the things I always thought was interesting, I can't remember which player pointed this out. Might have been a Duke player, Carolina player. But he was like, our fans hate each other. Duke fans hate Carolina fans. Carolina fans hate Duke fans because they've spent their whole life hating each other. We, like, for the most part, the Duke players are there, like, eight months. Like, they're playing, the, the guys in Carolina uniforms aren't guys they've been playing against for four years. <laughs> they, they, they're, they play against them twice, three times total. Uh, if they meet in the ACC tournament, I guess a possibility of a fourth time in the NCAA tournament. But, like, uh, how many times was Jason Tatum ever going to play against North Carolina? So... Uh, the, the, and, and, and the guys in the Carolina uniforms are probably guys they grew up playing with or against uh, on, the, on the summer circuit, and they like might actually be friendly with them. So I don't think, whereas the Duke Carolina fans hate each other, Kentucky Louisville fans hate each other, I wonder with the current state of things how much the players actually despise each other. I bet you it's difficult for them because they, they haven't lived it them their whole lives, and they haven't even lived it in lots of cases for multiple years. I say all that to say this. You get the sense the Cincinnati and Xavier players – actually actually do hate each other <laughs> like you get the sense that mick hates some of xavier's players and chris mack might hate some of cincinnati's <laughs> players 
And so um, it all leads to what we saw on Saturday. And you're you're exactly right. I'm glad you pointed out J.P. McCure is not a kid. You see that a lot on Twitter. Like, you can't go after a kid. He's not a kid. He's a college student. He's a young adult. I still think if you're the coach, whether it's Mick or Chris, you got to stay above it. I mean, you don't come off looking good challenging a college basketball player if you're a multi-million dollar coach like it's just not a good visual it's not a good viral clip doesn't make you look tough it just sort of makes you look small and i don't even i'm not even making short jokes about mick i'm the last person that can make a short joke by the way i actually think i'm taller than mick (laughs) (laughs) i think i am i that's Second source, third source, fact check right there. But okay, I continue. I think I'm taller. I think I am taller than McCronin. But it just it's just not a good look. So you just got to be above it. Um, I do understand how why you would be furious that a college basketball player would talk to you like that. Like show me some respect. I'm a I'm a uh, a well accomplished college basketball coach. You shouldn't be talking to me like that. I understand the frustration. Um, but you just gotta, you know, if you're Mick, you just gotta, you gotta stay above it. I don't think he needs to be reprimanded or suspended or anything like that. I mean, it is what it is. And it made for a a fun, interesting college basketball story, uh, in a weekend otherwise dominated by football. Uh, but yeah, you, you gotta, you, you probably gotta stay above it. Um, if you are him, I do wish to God that we had video of what Chris Mack described in his post-game press conference, which is Lance Stevenson calling him the N-word three times. So that's... How how much would you pay for video of Lance Stevenson calling Chris Mack the N-word over and over again? Clear audio and video, if it's my own money, uh, at least 300 at this point, maybe 400. That's an outrageous reality that I was not aware of before Mack said this at the press conference. And, yeah, that's uh, that's just who Stevenson was as a prospect and a, a recruit, a player, and then well into his NBA days when he was blowing into LeBron James's ear. Really one of the more surreal videos ever in sports it continues to be. But I'll say that Cincinnati fans had an issue with this, GP, um, with Max specifically bringing up Stevenson and what he did seven years ago. And this, you know, I post a column to Twitter. I got Cincinnati fans and Xavier fans throwing mud at each other in my mentions and inevitably they're, they're bringing up all sorts of stuff and they thought it was low rent of Mac to do so. But he did so because Cronin was insistent that Mikura would never play for him because Mikura was mouthing off to him. And well, he's like, well, Mac is like, well, no, screw that. Cause he, he had the second press conference. He's like, no, actually you had a guy that you recruited played for you did this exact thing for me. And you, he played for you. And then after that, I went into the handshake line. I shook his hand. I said, good game. And, and so on and so forth. So uh, I, I can see where Cincinnati fans are coming from. And listen, Mac should also take a little bit of, uh, of blame here for allowing Makura. Listen, if he wants to Makura to run wild like this, he can. But like he already ticked off the Wisconsin fans, was uh, somewhat vulgar with them earlier this season. So Mac is not without any blame here. But, uh, but I, I understand uh, why he would bring up Stevenson in that regard because it was within bounds to do so. I guess I would say this. Um, if you're Mick Cronin, you could put, keep yourself in a good position by saying, I continue to insist that J.P. Makura played for me. He would not be playing if he acted that way. Like, um, I, I'm comfortable standing by that statement. And the truth is, it's not, I'm not being hypocritical about Lance Stevenson. I didn't know Lance Stevenson did that. If I would have known Lance Stevenson did that, 
I would not have played Lance Stevens. So you can like get around that if you want to. It might not be completely true. Like he might have saw Lance Stevens and do that and not really care because Lance Stevenson was really good. But whatever. But on the other side, like the idea that anybody would criticize Chris Mack for bringing it up, uh, that doesn't make any sense to me because um, I, I think you could actually frame it this way. In real time, seven years ago, Chris Mack, uh, he took the high road. He wasn't going to publicly call out a freshman at a rival school. He just took the high road, and that's why he didn't bring it up then. But when you have a kerfuffle at the end of a game in the year 2017, and it's rooted in one of your players getting into an argument confrontation with the opposing team's head coach, and that opposing team's head coach says, if my player acted like that, he wouldn't play for me? Well, you're damn right I'm going to bring up the time that his player did act like that and his player continued to play for him. So I don't think Max wrong to bring it up. I do wonder um, – I, I do think you might you have a point, a fair point, that maybe Max should sit down with Makura. Maybe should have handled it in that moment, in that game. Like, hey, listen, uh, I, I appreciate your energy. I know that the way you um, approach everything is part of the reason you're the player that you are, but we got to – you know, telling the coach, the opposing coach to F off in the middle of a game, that's, that's taking it a little bit too far. Let's keep it between the lines. Let's leave the other coaches alone. There's probably a conversation there for Mac to have with Makura, but, uh, but uh, the idea that anybody thinks Chris Mack is out of bounds by bringing up an old incident, I think he had a perfectly good reason to bring that up, and if I were him, I'd have brought it up the same way. I, I just want this game to be played again next year at – uh, fifth third arena Cincinnati's home arena then Xavier the year after that then Cincinnati the year after that don't bring it on to a neutral you know it was McCure is graduating so unless these two teams meet in the NCAA tournament McCrodan has seen the last of McCure on a basketball court and won't have to deal with this again uh, we obviously just need more of these types of games in college hoops, not less of them. Let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I've learned over the years thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, after you download that app, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's a promise. Now, why are you going to use SeatGeek instead of other uh, ticket sites? The, the reason is simple. A, because I'm telling you to. So, like, just out of loyalty, loyalty to me, I'd appreciate it. But more than that, uh, what SeatGeek does is save you time and money because they're going to search multiple ticket sites for you. They're going to compare prices for you. They're going to find amazing deals for you. So anytime you need tickets to a basketball game, football game, concert, anything, you check SeatGeek first. Anytime you need a gift, it's the holiday season. You're probably buying gifts for somebody. Maybe they want tickets to a basketball game, football game, concert, anything. You can find it at SeatGeek. So make sure to download that app if you don't already have it on your phone. It's on my phone. It's on Norlander's phone. It should be on yours as well. If you don't already have it, go get it. And remember, when you buy tickets to anything, you're going to use SeatGeek. And when you do that, use the promo code COLLEGEBB because you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. At SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. So Sunday afternoon, Norlander, North Carolina improved to 8-1 with a 97-73 win over Tulane. And Luke May got 22 points and 10 rebounds. So he's now averaging 20.8 points and 10.3 rebounds in 31.9 minutes per game. Now that might mean might not mean much without context, but 
last year he averaged 5.5 points, 3.9 rebounds in 14.2 minutes per game. So he's averaging 15.3 more points, 6.4 more rebounds, and 17, 17.7 more minutes per game this season than he averaged last season. That is a big-time breakthrough. He was eighth on the team in scoring last season, was sixth on the team in rebounding last season. Now he's first and first, and he's shooting 44% from three-point range. So I got a tweet from a dude named Paul earlier today, and he said, quote, if you guys could spend almost an entire podcast on Gonzaga moving to the Big East maybe someday, surely you could spare a moment for Luke May tonight. Seemed like a fair point to me. So, Nolando, on a scale of one to GTFOH, how surprised are you by Lake, uh, Luke May's season so far? Give me a 7.34146. By the way, you still can't pronounce Tulane correctly, but that's okay. We can move on. It's the Tulane Green Wave. How do you say Tulane? Tulane. It's, you can do this Tulane. Tulane. Like Tulane Highway. Well, it is. It's, that's what it is. It's Tulane. Tulane. Lane. The Tulane Greenway. How do you that's, How do you say Louisville? Louisville. Okay. Louisville. Not Louisville. Louisville. How, how do you say Illinois? Illinois. What do you mean? How do I say Illinois? The way you only say Illinois. I know, how do you say Nevada? Nevada is correct, and Oregon is correct. Oregon is not correct. Nobody says Oregon. There are people out there. You'd believe data or data. It's it's data, by the way. Just so you know. I think it take it take that for data. I, it's ta- it, the thing is, Fizz made it popular. <laughs> Fizz said data, but it is data. Data. Yeah, I'm, I I could go. I go thirty minutes. Oh, re- but re- let's circle back. Re- rest in peace to Fizz's Grizzlies tenure, by the way. Yeah. I know, <laughs> Poor guy. I, I I love David Fizdale. They just got him on a Monday afternoon. What in the world? See, they, you got these weird emphases. Afternoon, no afternoon. On a, you said on a Monday afternoon. They just got, Monday afternoon. I said, it's, I said, rest in peace to. I said, I love Fizz. They got him on a Monday afternoon. Yeah. I say, do, do I just say everything incorrectly? It's that Horn Lake. It's that Horn Lake. Uh, hey, man, I came from Horn Lake. You're lucky I can speak at all. We are, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna create a running list of all the weird words you say differently from most of the rest. On a scale of one to G T F O H, where are you with Luke May? I'm, I, I, I gave you the figure before. There's no need to, uh, to repeat it. Uh, this is beyond what Roy Williams expected. I know that because I asked him it when I saw him in Portland. Um, they've got a, a solid team, obviously, and Tulane is not a, uh, you know, a world beater, although I think it was 6-1 and one heading into that game, although it's six wins. I think mostly were against garbage teams. But for Luke May to have done this, and I do want to make one point of clarification here. He was technically a walk-on. But it was one of those roster situations where he had to accept being a walk-on when he started but was always going to be a scholarship player. This dude was a top 200 recruit. So it's not like he came out of nowhere. You, you hear that, oh, the former walk-on Luke May. Yeah, technically that's true. But you get what I'm saying, GP? Like, yeah, it's not- I, I hear you. But he is a three-star recruit leading North Carolina, the reigning national champions in scoring and rebounding. That's not normal. That is not normal, but it's also not like, you know, he was coming off the bench in high school and then worked through intramurals at UNC, played on the junior varsity team and worked his way up. Like, But he kind of but he kind of looks like he might have. He looks like uh, – no, Luke May's got a very – he might have the most distinct face of anyone in college basketball. <laughs> he, he does, man. He, he looks like he could go and work in movies once he's, uh, once he's done playing hoops. But for him to do this, it's a big-time uh, piece of progression for the Tar Heels – because Joel Berry is their best player, but they've got so much youth on that team. And Theo Pinson, 
listen, really good defender, has has a lot of good physical attributes, but you're not going to be able to rely on him for a lot of points on a game-in, game-out basis, despite all the other things that he does well. So for Luke May to have developed into a reliable three-point shooter, a really kind of a three-level scorer, and can crash the boards reliably, he is going to be, I think, I think Barry is the MVP and the quote key, I guess. But for May to be able to keep this pace, relatively speaking, and I think he will just drift a little bit back to the mean, so to speak. Um, it's it's big for Carolina's chances in the ACC and its chances just to remain a top 20 type team. Uh, they could have used a lot more of that Luke May in Portland uh, when they went cold against Michigan State. Let's go back to where you acknowledge you're attracted to Luke May. On a, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, Larry David being an Uber 4, where is Luke May? Harry David being a four. Uh, Uber Ford. You, don't, you haven't seen that episode of Curb yet? Dude, I am, I'm like four or five episodes behind. It's bad. <laughs> Come on, Norlander. Christ. Now, Larry Larry David gets into an Uber, and he's just being Larry David. So the Uber drive. And, and so the. Don't. He, listen. All right. You can tell me, but don't like, you know, don't, don't give up. Uh, no, it's not to me. This is not. It's, but the, he start, Larry starts trying to rate himself. Uh, physically, the way Uber drivers rate people, and the way you rate like, so, and the way you rate an Uber, so he thinks he's a four, an Uber four in terms of physical attraction. And the Uber driver's like, "No, you're a three <laughs> So they get into a big fight, and the Uber driver gives him a bad score. And so then, then Larry's Uber score goes down so far that he can't get Ubers to pick him up anymore. Oh gosh, <laughs> the show is still bringing it. By the way, granted, I'm a few episodes behind. It's uh, it's still like at his age to still be operating at this level, like it's still laugh out loud funny and smart, is like pretty remarkable. So good, so good. Um, but anyway, yes, Luke May seems like an attractive man and is also a really really good college basketball player. How about, about that? Him. How about that? So you more attractive, less attractive than Chandler, the great Chandler Parsons, Memphis's own Chandler Parsons. Chandler Parsons is is just he's a pretty boy. There's just no denying it. He's really he's he's on a he's on another level unto himself. I felt I bad. Could... I felt so bad for the Memphis Redbirds, the AAA baseball team, because they used to just like run downtown. Like every smoking hot waitress you knew downtown Memphis was like either hooking it with a Redbird or had hooked it with a Redbird. And then like the Redbirds actually get good. Like they they won the Pacific Coast League championship. And it happened literally the same week that Chandler Parsons moved back to Memphis. So it's like, what are you supposed to do? Like, all the waitresses now got their eyes on Chandler Parsons. Like, you can't compete with Chandler Parsons. You're a freaking AAA shortstop. I felt sick for those guys because they used to run. They used to run downtown. And now it's like everybody just wait. How are you supposed to impress a girl? You're a AAA baseball player when Chandler Parsons is like might be like three seats over. It's a tough spot for the Redbirds. How am I even supposed to respond to that, Parrish? Louisville lost at home to Seton Hall on Sunday afternoon, so the Cards are now 4-2, and two, lost to both good teams they played so far this season. Is this just what happens? And we talked about this on previous podcasts. When I dropped Louisville out of the top 10 in the preseason, like, lose Brian Bowen, keep Brian Bowen, whatever. That wasn't going to have the type of impact of losing one of the all-trim great college basketball coaches. I know that Rick Pitino can, can be discussed in a variety of ways, but one thing basically everybody agrees on, is that he is one of the all-time great basketball coaches, all-time great college basketball coaches, and you take him away from this team, and now they look like somebody. They look like a team that doesn't have a Hall of Fame basketball coach. You know? Exactly. I'll get to Seton Hall in a second, but now Louisville has lost two of its three best opportunities for non-conference wins because it catches Indiana in a down year, catches Memphis in a down year, and it's 
it, you know, it's just unfortunate that they get that. And then they get Kentucky, and that Kentucky game happens to come on the road. Very, very good shot. Louisville's going to go 0-3 against his toughest competition. And then the Indiana win, if they get it at home uh, at, at the Yum Center, it'll be fine. But uh, it's, it's just not going to have as much heft, I don't think, because I don't think the Hoosiers are going to be a tournament team. And then Memphis will be lucky to even get into the NIT. So the Cardinals, they drop it at home on a, what, like, Five seconds to go. Desi Rodriguez uh, hits hits the shot. Really solid player, by the way. Uh, he gets overlooked uh, because of Kadeen Garrington and obviously Angel Delgado, who had yet another double-double. Seton Hall, quality team, big-time valuable road win here. Um, they are 7-1. and one. Their only loss came to a Rhode Island team that now has defeated two teams in the Big East, and the URA is the best team in the A-10. So Seton Hall is developing a, a pretty nice overall resume at this point they've got vcu in a week we're gonna have something of a quiet week after we once we get to wednesday and then beyond because we're gonna have um, finals coming up with a lot of these schools so this was an interesting weekend all around in college basketball because there were a lot of interesting non-conference matchups and uh, the big 10 obviously started conference play i believe in the pirates i think xavier is better but um but it's it's still a toss-up to me with them in providence but i think there's a very strong top four in that big east huge win for the league Big one for the Pirates. They're a they're a legit team, and yes, I I think I I went into this game, Parish, thinking Seton Hall was a better team than Louisville on a neutral. Now they win on the road. Just so listeners can get an idea, because we haven't talked really much about the Pirates on the podcast so far this season, and you're going to have your top twenty-five and one up by the time people listen to this. Where do you have them now? Because I believe we had them outside. I think they were like twenty-seven or twenty-eight on my one to three fifty-one. They were just outside of the rankings when we started the season. After the Louisville win, how far have they climbed up? I've actually started working on the top 25 and one for Monday morning already. And I've got Seton Hall right now. I think they're going to be 25th. Basically, what I have is Rhode Island at 24. Seton Hall's only loss is a one-point loss to Rhode Island. Rhode Island's only losses are also good losses uh, at Nevada by single digits to Virginia on a neutral. So Rhode Island's two losses are to teams that I have ranked higher than Rhode Island. Seton Hall's uh, only loss is to a Rhode Island team. I have one spot ahead of Seton Hall. Um, so, yeah, I've got them 25th right, right now. But when I say – when I start the conversation by saying that this is what happens when you lose you know, one of the all-time grades, I don't mean that to take away from Seton Hall. Like, that's a, that's a good win – and that's a good basketball team. Like, uh, Kevin's got that thing in a good place now. Um, I, I think I saw somebody tweet today. I can't remember who it was. I wouldn't be surprised to see them as a basketball person. I wouldn't be surprised to see Seton Hall in the, in the Final Four. Like, I won't predict them to go to the Final Four, but could I see that team getting hot and getting there? Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's a legitimate second weekend type of roster. Um, and they're playing like it so far this season. Yeah, um, the, between Carrington and Delgado inside out, and then Desi's able to score, that's enough overall. I would be surprised if they, you know, listen, if the bracket breaks the right way, and maybe Seton Hall two months from now uh, looks even better than they do right now. Um, I wouldn't put them that high, but uh, but uh, the sophomore Powell is a pretty good player overall, and he's a reliable three-point shooter. The fact that Seton Hall is going to be able to hit, uh, I think with relative – success uh three-point shots and when you've got delgado down in the paint um it's cool and it's just good to have the pirates good again because they you know it's a, it's an interesting program um they go through a lot of really dry uh, spells and stretches they made the tournament the past two seasons i remember thinking two years ago when they got there 
and they lost. I'm almost positive lost because that's when they had Isaiah Whitehead who was just do it all awesome that season. Um, and then he left. I thought they were going to take a big deep dip last season. They did take a dip, but they still made the tournament. Set up do it three years in a row, and uh, this is a, obviously a program that has been to a Final Four before. They have, I, I truly believe Seton Hall has one of the most underrated, ridiculously rowdy, inappropriate fan bases in America. I think Providence fans get their due for how insane and ludicrous they are, and St. Bonaventure fans do as well. But Seton Hall fans, this part of this is just having gone to the Garden to co- cover so many games over the years. I just don't think someone in Memphis or out in California or in Florida, Wisconsin, Ohio, really understands just how bonkers that fan base can get, especially when they're really good. So it, it, it does add a fun element. Uh, and if they are really good this season and they're getting that, you know, three, four, five, six seed by the time we get to the tournament, I expect their fans to show out and travel well and uh, just good returns overall for the Big East so far this season. The other thing the Seton Hall story is, pretty good career save. I mean, uh, Excellent career save. And just for some quick background, uh, Willard's really tight with his AD. So I think in a lot of cases, he went five years. Yes, I think it, it was five. And they were middling. Um, I believe a lot of other coaches in the same spot that he was in would have gotten fired after that fifth year. He did not. Now, granted, a lot of that was because Whitehead had come in and he was a big-time prospect. He returned for a sophomore season. That gave Willard a little more. But a lot of coaches would have been fired. Did not get fired here. You're absolutely right. Willard saves his job. And this is uh, – it's just – it's, it's something that he could – I know you have this theory, GP, about coaches should really try and move on every seven to nine years. I think in a lot of cases that's right. But here with Willard, um, at least the way I see it right now going forward, like he almost – and maybe he should have been fired after five years. Now he saves it. He's in year eight, and he could extend this to nine, 10, 11, 12 years at the school if he wants, and it might end up being the best situation for him because he's also uh, – he knows the region well, and, and it's, it's where he fits pretty well. Missed the NCAA tournament five straight years. The, enters the sixth season on everybody's hot seat list. Uh, wins 25 games. Goes to the NCAA tournament. Last season, wins 21 games. Goes to the NCAA tournament. And um, and now off to a nice start this season. Looks like, I mean, barring some sort of injury to a key player, headed back to the NCAA tournament for three straight years. It's not unlike Mick Cronin's career at Cincinnati. You know, Mick, it, it took it a little while to get going. But but then he, he turned that corner, and and now Cincinnati's been consistently good for for a pretty good while now. Wichita State won on a Saturday afternoon at Baylor, and so they're now sitting here with just one loss. It's the loss in that championship game to Notre Dame. It like a game that they were in control of, then just played terribly in the second half. That had a lot to do with Notre Dame as much as it had to do with with Wichita State. But they're literally a, a you know, one make or one Notre Dame miss from being undefeated. And I don't know that that's necessarily what's amazing, that Wichita State is really good. I think we knew Wichita State was going to be really good. But they're doing this without their leading scorer and leading rebounder. Like, the idea that a, a MVC slash AAC school could lose its and, and we could debate whether Landry Shamit or Marcus McDuffie is the best player, but for the sake of this conversation, let's just label it correctly, lose their leading score, leading rebounder to a stress fracture and still look spectacular and still go out and, and get off to this kind of a season. I mean, it's just a real, I think, testament to to the culture Greg Marshall's established, to the way they develop players there, because that, 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 that thing's not filled up with top 50 recruits. 
you know, uh, uh, Shamit was a good recruit. McDuffie was a good recruit. Connor Vrancamp was a top 100 guy who initially started at Kansas. But those are just those are just guys, and and yet Greg takes them, develops them. He and his staff into uh, consistently one of the best teams in the country. And here we are again. Yeah, they. So I did not. So their only loss is a one point loss against Notre Dame in that Maui championship game. Now I crashed in bed way early that night because I had to get up and fly at the crack of dawn to Portland. So I did not watch that game, but I think it's safe to say. Because I think that it was like a crazy game. I know you watched it, and a lot of people listening to the podcast watched it. But Wichita State might be the team that's the closest to having or should have been undefeated at this point, but actually isn't. Like that, you can make a case that they absolutely should be seven and zero at this point. But Notre Dame came back big on them in that game, and it is impressive that they started off this well because they also, you know, end of the season big target on their back. Uh, consensus preseason top ten team. I do want to see how this non-conference. They still got Oklahoma State on the road. Got to play a quality Oklahoma team in Wichita. I love that Alon Kruger agreed to that kind of series. I think that's awesome. In fact, uh, they've got three more games coming in on-campus venues in uh, ensuing seasons there. So the Sooners and Shockers could develop something special in non-con play in the coming seasons. Um, they got a tough game at home against Florida Gulf Coast team. They should win that game, but Florida Gulf Coast is certainly uh, one of those like dangerous 13th types, I think, this season. Want to see how their non-con does. And then once we get to mid-January, I think that they're going to be okay, Parrish. Don't get me wrong. The roster's really good. They're going to get McDuffie back in the fold. But the fact of the matter is they're going to be going through a, a tough non-conference schedule. And then for the first time, that coach, uh, that staff, those players are just going to be entering into a league that's going to be a step up from what they've been previously. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they hit just a little bit of a wall, took on maybe a loss or two that they normally wouldn't take. We'll obviously have those discussions if and when that happens. But to this point, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, it should be pointed out how impressive it is that that roster, not at full strength, has been able to look this good and is basically one field goal, one basket away from being undefeated uh, heading into December 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th. Listen, they're going to lose more games in the AAC than they would have lost in the NBC. Um, anybody would, making a move from one league to another like that. But they're still, I think, the favorite, at least in my mind, to win the AAC in their first year in the AAC. And I don't think it'll be quite the adjustment to, you know, a, a more athletic players, more physical players uh, that it might be for a different NBC school because they've been going toe-to-toe with these types of programs for years now. You know, when you already in this season can go toe-to-toe with Notre Dame, go beat Baylor in Waco, you know, whether they've in, over the years played Kentucky, played anybody, they've never looked at a place. They've never looked like, oh, well, now you can see it. Now they look like an NBC school as opposed to an ACC school or a Pac-12 school or a Big Ten school or an SEC school. They've never looked like they didn't belong on the court. They never looked like they came from a different place. And so that's why I I ultimately do not think that they're going to have a real struggle adjusting to the AAC. It's different than the NBC. And um, Cincinnati is obviously good. Temple, I think, is good. Houston got a big, convincing win over Arkansas on Saturday. I think they're good. UCF won at Alabama earlier on Sunday. I think they're pretty good. So they've got some real competition. Uh, but really all it does is just present more opportunities for them to get quality wins so they can't get screwed for the 100th consecutive year on Selection Sunday by a selection committee that doesn't properly uh, value them. Uh, we got uh, some fun games coming up earlier in the week let's look at them specifically on tuesday night uh villanova gonzaga that's at the garden you go into that by the way 
Uh, that will be a game time decision. We'll see. I'm I'm definitely intrigued enough. Let's uh, let's see if the home front will allow me to do so. I did just see a lot of Gonzaga, but I have not seen Villanova in person yet this season. That is why I would go because I want to see the Wildcats. And real quick before you mention the other games, Villanova's just they're still undefeated. They just haven't had a lot of high profile opponents yet, right. so they're kind of cruising under the radar. That changes obviously with a high profile game against Gonzaga at the Garden on Tuesday. Yeah, it's not just a nice non league matchup. It's the Jimmy V. So you got a lot of eyeballs on that. Villanova Gonzaga at the Garden on Tuesday. Virginia at West Virginia. Texas A and M against Arizona and Phoenix. SMU at undefeated TCU. TCU, of course, the Horned Frogs got the longest winning streak dating back to last season in the entire United States of America. Of those four games, which one intrigued you the most? Oh, uh, that's uh, that is an awesome four pack, by the way. Um, I th- <laughs> I think uh, I think it is SMU at TCU only because, and I know that's not the expected answer, and it it frankly won't be the one that people are most intrigued by. But SMU got a nice home win over USC on Saturday. Again, as we mentioned, we're just a, a quality weekend for the most part for that uh, for the American. Oh yeah, uh, I didn't even bring that one up when I was talking about the AAC. SMU, yeah, big, I mean, big win. Debacle aside, the AAC did have itself a, a nice weekend. If they can go and get that kind of win against TCU, um, one, you know, it would it would do a lot of good for SMU's resume. But that's a conference that's trying to get a lot of bids here, um, and I want to see TCU at home against what I think is a fairly quality opponent top 50 type opponent and i want to just i have not seen a tcu game front to back yet this season so that's the one that intrigues me most west virginia at home against virginia i was wrong about the cavaliers i thought they'd be in the neighborhood of say an 8 to an 11 seed this season i did i was stupid and didn't think tony bennett would be able to uh get this team a higher level virginia's ranked right now they deserve it i don't think they're going to win this game though although west virginia has been a little bit bizarre I'll take West Virginia to win by about six or seven points, maybe like a 68-62 win. Uh, Gonzaga playing against Villanova is super-duper intriguing. Um, Obviously, being a neutral, but Nova fans are going to fill up that building well. I do think Villanova has the better team. I think it has the size. Give me the Wildcats, 78-73, something like that. Uh, But I think that's the the game that has the most uh, excitement with it. And then you've got A&M against Arizona. That's not a true road game, right? You said that was in Phoenix. It's in Phoenix. Yeah, Arizona just barely got by UNLV in overtime on Saturday night. That was a true road game. Aiton was a freaking beast, man. He is. He really is something. Sometimes I watch him, and Bagley's awesome, but sometimes I watch Aiton, and I'm like, Bagley doesn't even do that kind of stuff. He is just a lot of fun to watch. If Trier can have a huge game, I'll take Arizona to win this, and I am not confident. It's by far my least confident pick because I do like A&M's talent. Overall, they are traveling out to the desert. Give me Arizona. I think it'll be a fun one. Give me Arizona, say, 81-78 overall. So, yeah, i got the Wildcats, the Horn Frogs. I've got Gonzaga falling to Villanova, and I've got West Virginia. So I don't know if I have any true upsets there, but nevertheless, there we go. I'm glad you mentioned TCU. I got to see them actually front-to-back two games down at the Emerald Coast Classic, right, because I was doing sideline uh, for CBS Sports Network. I like that team. Um, and it's it's a great story. Like, it's such a great story. I should probably, like, not talk about it on the podcast and write the column. But Jamie Dix, like, the program's totally, like, been irrelevant for a while. Mostly irrelevant for a while. If not forever. They get in the Big 12. Suddenly they get all these resources. They invest in their facilities. They go out and, and take advantage of Pitt's uh, administration and family being stupid and growing tired of Jamie Dixon. So the Pitt fan base uh, uh, like is like, we can do better. We're tired of this. We can do better. 
you looked at TCU lately and compared it to where Pitt's at right now, you're not doing better. But either way, the administration actually lowered Jamie's buyout to make it easier for him to leave. So he did, because that's insulting. So he gets to TCU at the end of the 2015-16 season, like, you know, after that season. And they go out and they find they, they sign Jalen Fisher, who was initially committed to UNLV because and this is it's it's sort of interesting the way all this connects Jalen Fisher's from Memphis um Mike Miller when he played for the Grizzlies started an AAU program called M33M uh it was run by Mike's cousin guy named Ernie Kuyper well Jalen Fisher played for M33M and then ultimately went to UNLV why because Mike Miller's brother, Ryan Miller, was on staff at UNLV. UNLV staff gets fired. UNLV interviews Ryan for the job, but they don't hire him. They end up hiring Chris Beard, and then, of course, that fell apart. So then they went with Marvin Menzies. Um, but then Ryan Miller is, like, on the market. So Jamie Dixon hires him to TCU. He immediately gets Jalen Fisher to, to follow him to TCU. So they get him in the spring. Did they also found a kid, Desmond Bain, who on 24-7 sports like didn't even have a, a, a profile page. Just, just a basketball player. They go get him out of, I believe, the Indianapolis area. And so that's two of their five starters right now. Uh, two guys that Jamie got late immediately after getting the TCU job. And then one of their other starters, a senior, a guy named Kenrich Williams, who I believe was the MVP of the Emerald Coast had zero Division I scholarship offers coming out of high school. Went to junior college for a year, and then, give credit where credit's due, the previous TCU staff went and enrolled him at TCU, and now he's terrific. So you look at that TCU team, they are um, going to finish in the top quarter, probably, of the Big 12, nationally ranked right now, currently have the longest winning streak in the country, dating back to last season when they won the NIT, and... And their, their, their starting lineup is just guy. Like, I, I shouldn't say that. Jalen Fisher was like a legitimate top 100 type recruit. But like they got him because they went out and hired Ryan Miller when Jamie got the job. Then they find Desmond Bain. I don't even know how they found him. And, uh, and then Kenrich Williams develops into somebody who looks like probably deserved a Division One offer uh, coming out of high school. So it's a really nice story happening in Fort Worth. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait for that game. Uh, Tuesday night, SMU against undefeated TC, uh, TCU. I think TCU wins that game. Texas A&M, Arizona, and Phoenix, I'm going to take Texas A&M. Like, I, 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 I know that runs counter to everything we talked about all offseason, and it runs counter to, like, it's going to be a home game, basically, for Arizona. But we both watched Texas A&M play and Arizona play multiple times this year. Who looks like the better basketball team? It's not even close right now. You're right. And so I'll go A&M with what will probably be a mild upset, but um, I'll go with A&M. Virginia at West Virginia, that's going to be fascinating because – uh, almost nobody turns the ball over um, fewer times per game, fewer times per possession than Virginia, and almost nobody is better at creating turnovers with the defense than West Virginia. So the contrast is fascinating. I'll go with the home team there. And then Villanova-Gonzaga at the Garden. Villanova's going to be favored. I think I'll take Gonzaga. Straight up! Give me the Zags! I'm on my Zags. I'm on my Zags S. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, you don't want to. You 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 riding with Villanova? Yeah, yeah. Just what's the opposite of straight up? What's like? 
Just, you're not taking someone straight up. What do you, what well, you, you can't. Doing? You can't be enthusiastic about not taking somebody as an underdog straight up. You end up yeah. just taking. Uh, you just. You just Villanova. You lay the points. You just do it casually. You just casually lay the points. You have to casually lay the points, but I get to take the Zags straight up. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via iTunes. So please go do that. It makes a difference. We appreciate it. And we will uh, talk to you again very soon. Till then, take care.